Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today on the show, I have my good friend, James McCurdy. You might recognize that last name. He is the founder of McCurdy Trained. Uh, They have a ton of athletes and coaches who work with McCurdy Trained. And this is kind of the kickoff episode for the Boston Marathon coverage I'm going to be doing over the next couple of weeks. So there's kind of two aspects of James' uh, running life. So there's the running part uh, for you know his own running, and then there's his coaching life. And in this episode, we're going to focus on his coaching life. Hopefully I'll have him back on the show later this year to do a full recap uh, of his running history. Uh, but shoot, we almost went a full hour in this episode, and there were questions I didn't even get to related to coaching, never mind his own running. So we'll do that in the future. Uh, But we talk a lot about this year's Boston Marathon, uh, how he helped his uh, fellow coaches and his athletes prepare for the race, not just, uh, you know, a few months out, but you know, four or five days out when the uh, when the weather looked gloomy, um, some of the recommend some of the recommendations, excuse me, that he gave to his runners, um, and then we just talked about you know how his how his coaching business started. He spoke very openly and honestly about uh, some of the uh, just some of the choices he's had to make in his life uh, from a professional perspective. And then we do a segment of Coach's Corner. James is always at the ready to dispense coaching advice, and I took full advantage of that in this episode. I learned a lot um, from James, so I've already incorporated some of the things that he talked about in this episode in my in my current running, and I only recorded this just last week. So I hope you like this episode as much as I liked recording it, and happy running. Hello, James, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm really excited to, to be on the show. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. And I'll tell you, you have helped make this show better. I think <laughs> I, you, you sent me a couple messages a few months ago, just feedback for the show. And I really took it to heart. And at that point, I didn't know, you know, we hadn't, you know, talked before or anything like that. So I really appreciated it. So thank you, first of all, for listening. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to I'm excited to chat. Yeah, you know, I, I it's it's interesting. I, I I love podcasts. I don't listen to them all the time, but I have a few that I do like to listen to. And yours has definitely been. I mean, since you started this, it's been it's been wonderful. I think the first podcast that introduced me to you was Scott Littleton. Oh, okay. And yeah. then from there, I was like, man, like this is awesome. Yeah, and Scott had a great story for anyone who had listened to that one. He was you know this big, strong, tough guy. And, uh, you know, with like, as like, as cliche as it sounds, but like a heart of gold. And then he had this tough, tough injury right before a marathon that he trained forever for. And it was, uh, yeah, it's definitely an interesting story. And, um, speaking of interesting stories and an interesting time, you're just coming off what can only be termed a very successful Boston marathon for the athletes that are training for McCurdy trained. You're, you're the owner of McCurdy trained. You run the show. It's named after you. It was, and, yeah. You know, sort but, but yeah, it's like you have like this umbrella organization with like very, it's a very, we'll get into the, how it works, but either way you had a, just anyone who trains with McCurdy trains seemed to be doing well this weekend. So we're recording on Wednesday, April 18th. So two days after the Boston marathon, I just say first things first, I was blown away by how many people you had at your shakeout 
over the weekend. Shoot, yeah. you had like over 100 people. Yeah, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Tracksmith Lou Serafini is uh, – uh, is, is a fantastic individual, one of the managers over there. And he hooked us up with, um, with hosting at Tracksmith and uh, Hearth Baking Company and Linden True Coffee was there, which was fantastic. Um, and it was, it was great. We got the word out. We didn't really publicize it too much other than a few posts on Instagram and a few newsletters, but, but the word spread and, and people started coming. It was awesome. Now, at these major events, is that where most of you, the athletes meet their, their McCurdy trained coaches. Is that where a lot of the face-to-face stuff happens? If it's available, it's weird. Like we, we don't, I don't think we have anybody, any of our coaches running in London. Uh, some of our coaches are abroad right now, just kind of on, on vacation, just kind of enjoying their time together. But um, like Michael and Sarah Crouch, but we have a few athletes running London, but, but generally at the major events we've been finding over the last few years that um, so well, really since we started that, at the major events, it's very common to have 10, 15, 20 people. And now we're starting to find that we're having 50, 60, 70 people at a, at a big race. So it's definitely something that I personally want to be involved in. I want to, I want to meet as many athletes as I'm able to. And if our coaches are there, then it's not a requirement by any stretch of the imagination, because chances are if they're there, they're racing. Uh, but what I'm finding is that they want to show up and, and be a part of the process. They, they love meeting the athletes. Um, it's great. Yeah, and for I would assume that the vast majority of your athletes have kind of a remote relationship. Oh yeah, with their coaches. Yeah. So when when you you can just speak to your own experience here is that when you actually get a chance to meet someone in person, do you feel like you you get a better vibe for that person as you would say you know remotely over a certain amount of period of time? I, you know I don't know. Like it's weird. Uh, Coach Sarah Bishop is has been an athlete of mine uh, for over a year now. And when we first met, it was like we already had this great relationship. Uh, and it was 10 months later. And, and we've met at the U.S. 20K Championship. And it was, it was awesome. We met for lunch and we had a good talk. But it, it was almost like we, we already knew each other because we, we spent time, a lot of time texting and we try to figure out who our athletes are. Um, you know, it's not just running. It's, you know, trying to figure out what their family life is like and their home life and the work life and how that relates to their training to the best of our ability. It's not always doesn't, not every athlete wants that, but for, for the ones that do, we try to make it available. So, so for me, um, you know, sometimes I feel like, Oh man, like what if they don't like me? <laughs> you know, like what if, what if it's just not a good friendship? You know, what if, what if this ruins everything? Uh, and I always have that a little bit, a little anxiety when I'm, when I'm meeting one of my athletes for the first time, especially if, if I've been with them for, I don't know, five, six months, or maybe sometimes even a year. That's so interesting because as someone who's been on the other side of that relationship, uh, my current coach is Caitlin Gray Goodman, who's yeah. a professional runner and, and one of the best runners in the country. And, um, you know, yeah, I get to flying. meet with her like once a month because she, she trains out of Providence and is oh. currently attending Brown, um, you know, Brown grad school. And I, I live just outside of Providence. You know, I'll meet with her once a month and like I can't ever – I can't even imagine her ever being nervous to meet with me. However, <laughs> I'm crazy nervous to meet with her. Um, not only because usually I, I'm not quite living up to my expectations, but just because she's also a professional runner. Um, so it's so funny to hear you say kind of the opposite. Well, yeah, I think it probably is a little reciprocal, you know, I mean, we're human. Uh, you know, I still have the same anxieties that anybody else would have. That's for sure. Um, but you know, it's, it's fun. It's exciting. 
You know, it's fun to put on the game face and get out there, especially when the, you know the, you have a big meetup like that. But when it's when it's intimate, when it's a one on one, you know, I just don't want to sound like a moron. <laughs> I can relate as someone who often does sound like a moron and usually on a recorded line. I, I know exactly yeah, right? <laughs> where you're coming from. Um, so let me just read some stats that you provided to me the other day. So you had 45 to 50 people set either PRs or course records at Boston. 95% of people beat their bibs. We'll talk about that in a second. And, yeah. and only three of the 62 runners did not finish the race. And obviously there's no, there's no shame in ever not finishing a race. Yeah. There's, there's a multitude of reasons why that can happen. Um, but certainly at this year's Boston Marathon, uh, doubly so in, yeah. in that regard. So first of all, in kind of going, not, not necessarily in order here. So 95% of people beat their bibs. What exactly does that mean? So the way I understand it, uh, Unless you're in the the elite corral, uh, but even then, your bib is your placement, right? So, like if if you get, I mean, the way they line up the corrals is by your your seat time, so you can be three hours and twelve minutes and fifty six seconds and be the first person in wave two corral one and miss wave one corral seven or whatever their last corral is because of your your time but your bid is your seed time coming in it's not your lifetime personal best but over the last year and a half your qualifying time that is your bid um and i'm sure it's a little different on the charity side of things but we didn't have any uh, we only had one charity runner um so if you ran Boston and you, your bid was 15,168 and you've placed 12,000. Well, then you beat over 3000 people. That's interesting. And that really does provide if someone's so inclined a real competitiveness to oh, it. Yeah. Um, besides just you know, achieving a personal best or beating someone that you're with at mile 22 or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great way of looking at how did you fare against the people that are like your ability? Not one person, but in general, the people that are like your ability, how did you do? And when one of our athletes actually beat 13,000 people because she dropped 17 minutes on her personal best in Boston. Holy like, cow. Yeah, like, like that's unreal. Now, I, I would argue that she probably was going to set a PR no matter what was going to happen just because that's the fitness that she, she had coming in uh, versus when she qualified uh, initially. So, but that's only a year and a half ago, you know, like that's how much she improved. Now we did with 45 to 50 people setting their PRs or course records. That begs the question for me of how in say the week before the race, did you and or other coaches start altering race plans or thinking about how to approach the race given the potential weather conditions. When, when does the weather start to play a factor in terms of how far out on the schedule, like you see the weather forecast. Yeah. And in this specific case, what exactly did you tell some of your runners? So my, my encouragement to my coaches came after in terms of what to do came after I set an idea of what I wanted to do with my athletes. And I had, I had scheduled 14 athletes to race, um, and a few were just running easy, but the safety was still the, the idea when, when we found out what the weather was going to be. But around two weeks out, maybe, maybe 10 days out, I set the race plan based on what we knew to be true on fitness 
and what the athlete's goal goals were. Uh, I didn't want to set an athlete up for failure. If they wanted to break three hours and I truly only felt that they were ready for three ten, I'm not going to give them a three hour race plan. I'm going to give them what I felt was appropriate for their current fitness based off of all the information we knew leading up to training, whether it was great workouts or whether it was race attempts, um, or even if it was, uh, a few athletes that wanted to be a little faster, but they just didn't get the training in. Uh, we had a few of those. Um, so what I did was I set up uh, a concept and I, I, I provided over the last two to three months, kind of a Boston email series to all anyone who wanted it. Uh, I provided this email series based off of terrain, based off of training, nutritional concepts. So I didn't have to go over a lot of that because I've been talking about that for the last two or three months. So the race plan was really just pace specific and concept specific. Uh, don't worry about running marathon pace on an uphill. Give yourself speed limits on a downhill so you don't push too fast too soon. Uh, make sure you take your nutrition every 30 minutes versus basing, basing it off of miles. Uh, just very simple concepts uh, that, were, that could be laid out. And then as the race got closer and closer, we figured out that the ideal race plan condition, race plan rather, was not going to work well, what do we got to do to adjust? And it's weird because we didn't really know what was going to happen until probably about a day or two in front. And I say that because even though it was probably a certainty, a few years ago, I was, I was running the U.S. 20K championship. And uh, that, uh, the, the two days leading up to it, they weren't even sure what the weather was going to be. It was supposed to be like 25, 30 mile an hour winds. It was supposed to be terrible weather. But when we woke up that morning, it was calm. You know, the wind wasn't bad at all. And it actually became a perfect race day situation uh, for most people. And the wind didn't really pick up until two hours into the day. And it was, it was an amazing run. Um, so I didn't want to go in with this expectation that, okay, five days out, the weather says this, this is what's going to happen. So we're, we're not going to adjust. I really wanted to have some mobility and flexibility. And then two days leading up, we, we really did kind of know, but it was really, how do you manage the expectations? How do you adjust? And, some athletes we felt were incredibly strong. Some athletes, for me, I felt were incredibly strong, and they were going to set a personal best no matter what the conditions. It was just getting them to believe it. So it was a lot of texting. It was a lot of phone calls. And in our one-on-one -on -one sessions on Sunday, I did one-on-one -on -one sessions probably for eight or nine hours straight, just sitting down and going over, this is what we can anticipate. This is what you should expect on course. This is what you need to be dressed in. This is how you're going to find success on the day do this and you will succeed. And it was awesome. It was great. And part of confidence is knowing that you can do it because you've done it before. And with these kinds of conditions, especially for a marathon, just naturally with how long the race is, it's hard to build up a well of experience with marathons because it's hard to run more than say two or three a year. Yeah. So, so when you have race conditions like this, and most people haven't run marathons in those conditions, is it hard for an athlete to, to kind of go in with the necessary confidence on their own, or do they need that kind of that support staff to kind of build them up um, because maybe they can provide them with insight um, or comparisons that they might not be able to muster on their own? Well, that, that, I mean, that's interesting, right? Like even the best athletes in the world still rely on coaches and, and, a, and, a, and a concept of a system, a family of, 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 of advisors to help them. And it's not because they don't need it. You know, Show me an Olympian that doesn't have a coach and I'll show you somebody that really, truly hasn't reached their potential yet. 
you know, uh, every one of our coaches on staff has somebody that guides them and we have some of the best athletes in the country. So I think that absolutely plays true to our athletes as well. Um, you know, I think it's really important to, to have somebody instilling that confidence, whether you have experience or not, someone, someone behind you saying, yes, you can succeed. Yes, you can do this. Um, even through the failures, it doesn't, you know, you got to let that one go. You're able to, to move on and move forward and, and see your next result that you're looking for. Um, you know, well, that's I, what I, it's, well, that's what is most important, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, well, I mean, you have to always have that. And if you're, you're not feeling like if a, if a coach is all, only in your corner when you're feeling good, well, that's not good. You know, that's not good. That's not coaching. You know, I think a coach should be behind you no matter what happens. Now, one thing that we often hear is that you should never do something new on race day. <laughs> However, if you're running in conditions you've never run yeah, in before, yeah. then that kind of throws that, that, that quote becomes a bit paradoxical. So, um, as well, you're yes and no, right? Like, so Boston obviously was horrendous. Uh, what, what I was suggesting to, to my athletes and what I what I really wanted my coaches to tell their athletes the night of is, listen, this is going to feel like 18 degrees. I know the weather says 40 degrees or 35 or whatever it says, but mm -hmm. it feels like 18. Would you go for a long run marathon workout with just a singlet? Would you go without ear warmers? Would you go without any of the, the right tools? Keep in mind that you're going to be standing outside for three or four hours and then go run. So if you wouldn't do that in a long run marathon training run, why would you do that in your race? So it was really important that our athletes kept warm as best as they possibly could. That's a great point. That's a great point. And I did see and it's, it's such an individualistic thing too, right? Cause you did see people who did wear the singlets or yeah. the sports bras and things like that. And then you saw people going kind of the other end of the spectrum. And, and a lot of that is, is, uh, you know, is, is being able to practice in those conditions. Part of that is just the confidence piece, right? Say, Hey, yeah. I want to wear something that I'm confident that I know I've run it before. And I guess part of that too, is just saying, Hey, like, you know, I'm just going to stick to the plan. I guess for every person it's different, right? Like yeah. I've had, I've had Rachel Davis on the show, yeah. as you know, who, who, who's one of your runners and she had a wonderful day and you know, she, she was one of those people. She was wearing, she was running as if it was like 80 degrees. Well, no, that's not true. The pictures don't tell the story. Is that right? Oh, okay. So, so I'm glad he, I asked the question. Then. Here's, here's, here's the situation. Uh, and this is why I sent my coaches a text. That's, this is just interesting. Um, I saw what Rachel was going to wear via Instagram. And, uh, and even though we talked about everything, I was like, you got to keep warm. You got to keep warm. In my mind, that means wear long sleeves, wear a jacket, wear whatever. In her mind, that just meant, keep warm before the race starts, but wear what you wear on your race day. So I call her up after seeing this picture of just a crop top and sleeves. And I'm like, you're, you're insane. Like there's no way on God's green earth. You're going to start this race <laughs> with just that because you are going to catch, you're going to get hypothermia or something bad is going to happen. So I said, I don't care what you wear, but you have to wear something over this. You have to, because it's how you, this is how you're going to see success. And she, it, it came to like, okay, I'm, I'm going to, she said, I'm going to wear a long sleeve. I, I promise I'll, I'll be prepared. And it, it's okay if you take it off later in the race, if you feel like it's, if, it, if it's appropriate, but you definitely don't want to start the race like that. That's a great point. That's so, a great point. So yeah. mile six into 10, somewhere in that range, she was feeling comfortable enough and confident enough that she was going to be okay. And she, and she was. 
Yeah, and then she what? She broke. Uh, did she get to two? Was it two fifty two? Two fifty six thirty seven. And and it was it, she just ran well. You know, she adjusted. Uh, she did what she needed to do. You know, I think for most athletes that ran it well within themselves, it was somewhere between ten and thirteen minutes slower than their actual ability depending on how, you know, their stride pattern and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's realistic to say that a headwind of 30 miles an hour average for three hours would probably slow you down by about 30 seconds a mile. I think that's a, that's a very reasonable thought. Yeah. And, and that, and that's one that anecdotally, I uh, see so you, 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 you kind of dove into the stats far more than I have, but anecdotally, that was something that I had seen too. And yet, if you look at the winner, it was more like a 20 to 22. Well, minute. Yes and no. I mean, we, we look at it as, as novice runners, right? Myself, yeah. yourself, and all of our athletes. We look at, oh, that, if, if, if she's 17 minutes or 25 minutes slower than her best or his best, well, then I've got to be. Well, they're running a different race. They are racing, and that is not what the average person does. When I say average, I mean, I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to try to time trial. That is not the same thing as me going out there and racing my competitors. We're, the, the pros are going out there and their strategy involved, especially with the women. Uh, they go off really, really slow for the first 5K and then they throw in a surge and then they back off and throw in another surge and back off. It was not about time. It was about placement. And I think that's something that gets lost in a lot because we can, we can compare ourselves to what it is they did. But I don't think in this race it's a fair comparison at all because – I think how they raced and when they put in effort drastically affected their overall performance because they were racing each other versus racing the clock. That is, that's a great point. And I really appreciate you saying that um, not only because I obviously was mistaken in my comparison, but because that, that does, it, it does make all the sense in the world. And when you talk to your runners want you you talk about what what the what what you want them to do in a race and you want them to race it do you view that oftentimes as if they're not going to be like say in the top five or top ten as just you, you, you're approaching that as a time trial perspective or do you want them to i guess latch on to something within the race that makes it competitive or they or they're beating people or they're kind of creating that same sort of drama in their own in their own race yeah i think i think this race for boston became about that it, we, we had to throw time out the window i think a few folks like i said before we're going to set a prs no matter what but but i think you know when we sat down with our athletes and we were talking to them it, it literally the conversation became about so you're bib twelve thousand. imagine if you can run in the eight thousand spot and it all of a sudden became like oh well i can focus on that forget the clock for a moment i can focus on beating four thousand people now, I had one athlete ranked 12,000, this, this woman named Allie. Um, and she came in. She was ready to roll. Of course, you know, we made the, made the adjustment. She was only seven minutes off of goal time, but she beat 8,000 people. It was amazing. And she set a four-minute PR. But she wasn't focusing on the clock. She was just focusing, what do I need to do this mile? Well, how do I feel this mile? Am I running marathon effort right now? And how much more do I have to go? And it was amazing. Of course, of course. Now, going all the way back, this is just, it's so captivating to hear you talk about your athletes. You are obviously passionate about it. I knew that before we started this conversation because, you know, I've, I've communicated with you online and I've seen 
your videos and how you talk about your athletes and your, and your fellow coaches. And it's obviously a passion of yours. And for a lot of people, they hear that, they hear that career advice, right? Like follow your passion, <laughs> or you, should, you know, like one of those things where it, not to be as trite as that, but it's to say basically, Hey, wouldn't it be great if my job aligned with the things that I'm most passionate yeah. about? And you seem to, to have that right now. So when did that, when did this start for you? Oh gosh, the business itself started uh, January 6th of 2016. Uh, so we're just a little over two years old. And I started it small. You know, I, I only had maybe 10, 15 athletes, and then it grew. And then it grew enough to where I was, I was comfortable enough to hire another coach. But, but leading into that, and I'd been a personal trainer in, in a gym environment, in a weight loss environment for about 13 years. And I worked at different places. and. I ultimately ended up at a place in uh, New Britain, Connecticut called Big Sky Fitness Center. And I spent five to six years there learning how to be a better coach. And th that was probably uh, my best experience in a gym environment where I could actually make a living uh, as a trainer versus the average pay for a personal trainer is like $15 an hour. It's very difficult to live. Um, so when you find a place that supports you, you want to hold on to it for a while. Um, but I started to lose passion for it. And I, I started, once my athletes started, uh, seeing their weight loss results and I was trying to find ways to keep them, you know, because I didn't want to keep trying to sell more people. I wanted to keep working with the athletes that I had. So I would start to take them on the roads and get them to run because I knew about running and I was coaching and I was always, I'd always kind of volunteered coach in some shape or form since I was 20. And then, um, then I made a move to work at a running store. And it didn't work out. They, uh, they wanted me to, to sell shoes more and I wanted to coach more. And uh, to be honest with you, I, I was at a point, that was probably one of the lowest points of my life. Um, uh, I remember before I was fired, I couldn't, can't even say I was quit, before I was fired and let go, um, I was sitting with Coach Michelle, actually, the first person I hired. Um, she was working at the store and I mean, I was bawling my eyes out. I was having a, a panic attack, an anxiety attack, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, she, she was a saving grace for me, uh, truly. And uh, I left the store uh, and I was just, I didn't have any money. Uh, I was, I mean, I had some money saved up and I was trying to find some work and I was debating whether or not I was going to go into a gym again, which I didn't want to do. Uh, but I knew I could. And so in the meantime, while I was interviewing for positions, I just started because I needed to pay my bills. I just started coaching people. I just started asking people if they wanted me to help them run a 5k or, or, you know, break 30 minutes for the first time in their 5k or just finish a five mile run without walking. And, um, and that's honestly how it started. It started because I needed money and I was somewhat decent at it. That is, first of all, thank you for sharing that, uh, that level of detail. I know that that can be a hard thing to share. And, um, you know, anyone who's lost a job or has had a parent lose a job knows exactly what that feels like and has seen that firsthand. And it's, it's a very scary thing. So when you were, you're contemplating your next move after it happened, and I, I'm assuming that you're probably contemplating it before it happened, because usually these things don't happen in, in, in a surprise sort of way. Um, well, yeah. Like, so in August of, 2015 
I was at a, a, at a running retreat here in Flagstaff, and, uh, which is where Heather and I live now. And uh, I got to meet some great people, the, 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 the owners of uh, Run Flagstaff, which is the local running store here in town. They have a great community of people, a fantastic crew. Um, I was involved as an athlete with the Run Smart Project um, because I, I, at the time, was actually paying someone to, to, to be my coach. Um, and I ended up meeting Ben Rosario for the very first time at a coffee shop. And, uh, and he actually gave me the idea. He's like, you know, you could coach online. I don't know what would come of it, but you, you seem to have a real passion for it. And at the time, it really didn't occur to me that that was even a, a possibility. And, and then for those of you who are listening, uh, Ben Rosario is the head coach at the NAZ Elite. Yeah. Who's just, who's yeah. just done, done amazing things with that team. His, his, his philosophy on coaching is spot on. I mean, it, I, there's all different ways of coaching, but I really have – learned a lot uh not that he's ever taken me really under his wing but he's always been so kind to me uh and to everyone um he's he's just an open book and he's a, he's a terrific person and uh, uh some of our coaches Matt Yano and Craig Lutz uh are directly on the the NAZ team it's it's a phenomenal phenomenal program they have and they have some of the best runners in the world so at what so after you after you start picking up a couple clients here and there from a running uh you know, so you're, you're paying your bills. You got a few clients doing some things, but you're, you're at that point, you are a very good runner. So, well, so, so when, so when did you decide, okay, I, I don't need to keep looking for other jobs. <laughs> I can just pursue the coaching thing. Like what, what was that say... decision timeline look like? What did it look like? And what were some of the factors that you were weighing at that time? So I knew that Ben's wife, Jen is a web developer. And so I reached, I asked Ben if I could reach out to her and he said, of course. So I reached out to her and told her about my idea of, of starting a business because at this point I had, I had a few athletes where I had to pay taxes. So I, I said to myself, if I'm going to have to pay taxes, I might as well just start a business and just see what happens. And that's really how it happened. So I, I, in my conversation with her, the initial plan for this was not to be this collective of coaches. The initial plan was just to have an, a, a place where my athletes can go, a website just so where it could live so people can go and sign up and get training. It wasn't meant to be this big thing at all. Uh, it just morphed into it because we have some really amazing people. So what was the catalyst or what were some of the catalytic moments that kind of spurred on the growth of McCurdy Trained? Because, listen, this thing started – what, 27 months ago? I mean, yeah. it really has grown very, very quickly. So if you look back on it now, what were some of the, the pivotal moments that really kind of shot the growth upward from, the, from its original trend? I, I think the first four coaches that I hired made the difference. Uh, the first one was, was Coach Michelle. Um, and when I brought her on board, she lived locally in my town. So we, we kind of became a force right in West Hartford, Connecticut at the time. Uh, and it didn't really exist. Like this, this concept really didn't exist two and a half years ago, two years ago. I mean, there were, there are a few things are out in the country, but not like that, uh, where two people were coaching together. Not that I knew of anyway. 
Uh, and then I brought on a, uh, an athlete, Mary Johnson, um, who, uh, is, has gone on, uh, to, pr- uh, develop her own business successfully lift, run, perform. Uh, but for the time that she was with us, she really sparked a lot of interest in us because she had some, uh, some, some social media presence and, truly because of her that really was a catalyst when when she came on other people started peaking and and she was very influential to the start of the business and uh and she's uh and she is her instagram handle is uh it's a marathon yeah yeah okay yep and she, she's what down in the new haven area yep she she actually yeah she she lives uh in in hamden um uh with her husband gabe and and so it wasn't too far away she was an athlete of mine uh, so it was like she want you know she she really wanted to get into coaching and I thought she would she would make a great coach and I I figured you know what she's never done this before she's she got an internship at a gym so I think she'd be she'd be an excellent coach and uh, so I brought her on board and it was a, a great time she came I think her first day was just a day or two after the Boston Marathon of 2016. Um, and then not too long after that, I brought, I brought on my first professional runner in, uh, Esther Atkins. And I met Esther a few years before that, just randomly at a, at a local Litchfield Hills road race, which is a fantastic seven mile race. Um, and she, she had won it a few years in a row and, and we, we, we got to talking over, over the, over the years. And actually when I was talking to her, I didn't even want her to come on board because we were so new. I didn't even know what this was turning into. I, I turned around to another business and the other business said, nah, we're, we're not really looking for another coach right now. And so I said, <laughs> you know what? Why don't you come on with me? I don't know where this is going to go, but come on board and I'll teach you the ropes. I'll, I'll show you what I know and, and let's see what we, what we can do together. And honestly, some of her athletes, like she, she helped one athlete, this guy, Matt Caposiello. His first marathon was a 359. And this year he ran 259. What? At CIM with his cousin. And his cousin went 302. And it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And Esther is a phenomenal person. She's a straight shooter. And, uh, and I think because she came on board was why Tim Ritchie came on board. Because Tim wasn't going to get involved, I think. He, he wanted to, to, to think. And once he saw Esther was, was involved, uh, we had a good conversation. He's like, okay, this might work. And it was a great opportunity. And ever since then, it's we just one one coach knows another coach who might be interested. Esther is the reason that Coach Dot McMahon is here, and Dot's been with us for just about a year now. It's almost our year anniversary, and Dot just finished twelfth in the Boston Marathon as at forty-one. Mother, wife, unreal. Second Masters runner. Man, that that is a crazy story. And and given your past work history. Is there people that you rely on as you as you kind of you know try to grow your your own business here? Because it's not as if like you were coming from this entrepreneurial you know owning a self business space, right? You well, you, were, you you were doing something a little, a little bit different. Well, I, I think I think being a personal trainer in the gym is very sink or swim. The average lifespan of a personal trainer is, from what I understand, only about between five and eight years. And it is that way because the hours are horrendous. You're waking up early in the morning and then you're going to bed late at night because you're not doing much during the day. Everyone is working during the day. So your only opportunities to have clients are in the morning and at night. And uh, it's very sink or swim with the personal training. You have to be outgoing. You have to be willing to go up to somebody, interrupt them when they're on a treadmill and talk to them. So there was always this aspect of, 
uh, entrepreneurial spirit in the, in the personal training world that, that if you don't have it, you're not going to be very successful as much as you know, if you're not willing to share it with people, um, as much as you know, if you're not willing to learn more, then it's going to be very difficult to be successful. And, and I, I learned very quickly that that's what I needed to do. Um, so I think I brought a lot of that and I think that helped certainly. Now, how much of that outgoing nature was learned versus how much of that was just your natural character going back a couple decades? Uh, and I, I think I've always been a little outgoing. I'm the baby of five. My parents, uh, they worked hard and, uh, and you know, it's, it, I guess I was probably the attention seeker when I was younger. You know, I was always the one that was in trouble. I was, gosh, I was, I was, I wasn't a, a bad person. I was just a, a, uh, a mischievous kid, my mom says, but uh, I was all until I found running really until seventh or eighth grade. That's when I, I kind of calmed down and stopped doing stupid things. Um, but uh, so I always had that personality. I love being on stage and singing like that was fun uh, for a long through middle school and high school and even a little in college and post collegially. I, I just I like doing that stuff. It's, it's, it's always kind of fit me, fit my personality. So when you got into running, you said that's when you stopped doing stupid stuff. Was it because running <laughs> was it because running was like a new focus for you, or was it more of like it burned all the energy off? I'm not sure if it was the focus or the energy, but it was something that I was good at. I, if I were to be diagnosed as as a child now, I probably would have been diagnosed with ADHD. Uh, it just wasn't as common of diagnosis back you know, 25 years ago, uh, you know, 30 years ago. Um, so I, I definitely didn't want to sit at home and just do my homework or read a book. I wanted to go out and play. So the problem is that my brothers are just so damn strong that they would always beat on me. <laughs> you know, like I was, I was easy to pick on. Um, uh, but when it came to, to running, that's something that I was really good at. My, my parents joked that I would tease my brother, Patrick, and run away. And that's how I get, became good at running. And my brother, when he finally did catch me, maybe days later, and would, would wrestle me to the ground, that's how he became a good wrestler. And I think, I think still to this day, he might still hold a national record for the fastest pin in his weight class in high school. Whoa. Yeah. He was no joke. He was no joke. I'm assuming, I'm assuming his, his pins of you were probably even quicker than that. Oh, gosh, man. He, he was always – his nickname when we were growing up was Bruiser. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. That's great. All right. So let me ask you another question because you've seen a lot of runners. You've talked to a lot of runners. Um, you know, you're someone who I think is probably well, well, uh, well acclimated to answer this kind of question. What are the qualities that serve runners the best? Like what, what, what are the best qualities? If you were say you were building Frankenstein, the Frankenstein runner, what character qualities? So not, not physical, but character type stuff and emotional and mental would you want to put in this kind of Frankenstein prototypical runner? Now that's an interesting question because I think we all are so different. And if I look back at the athletes that I had in the past and what made them strong as a runner, not fast, but just a good, someone that was really driven. I, I worked with this guy, Dan and Dan uh, in his early fifties at the time was 315 pounds or so. And he used to be a Marine. So he had some form of athleticism inside of him, but, but he had a real hard time walking up a flight of stairs in the gym and a year and a half goes by, maybe a little bit more than that. And now he's 190 pounds and or so. 
uh, and he was able to run a half marathon in an hour and 43 minutes. And that, that's not just something that you learn. That's something that comes from within to be able to change your life and go through an experience and then get on the line and, and, and prove it. Um, you know, I, I think grit is probably the best way to describe what is going to help a runner persevere because there's going to be injuries. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be doubt. There's going to be, there's going to be success. There's going to be temptation to do other things and, and or quote unquote, not the, the right things. I even don't even like saying it like that, but, but if you're, if you're gritty, you'll, you'll persevere through all of it and you'll get it done. And when you're making training plans for your athletes, are there certain runs in your mind um, that you say, all right, this is going to be one that's really going to test them. I want to see how they react to this. And if so, do you communicate that ahead of time or is that something you kind of wait on? No, like I, I honestly, I think, I think doing it like that in my mind is, is a mistake. I don't believe in just throwing a workout out there just to see what would happen. Um, I think, the time for that is to challenge yourself in a race if you're looking for performance. I, I believe that workouts should be purposed. Um, they're not always predictable of how someone's going to feel, but based off of what we know over the last three, four, six weeks of training, you should be able to accomplish X in this workout because this is appropriate for what your fitness level is. I don't like making stuff up just because it's hard. I want to give somebody a challenge, uh, certainly, but I don't want to give somebody more than that they can handle uh, because I don't want to risk the injury. And, and, and even, even with that mindset, people still get injured. You can't prevent everything, but I, I, I like to keep training based off of what I feel is the most appropriate for that specific athlete. Okay, I love it. So let's just dive into Coach's Corner right now because we're, we're doing the coach stuff. We're doing the coach speak, and I love it. So first one, um, this is a question that if someone follows you, they know uh, a lot about this. You're, you're kind of famous for telling the, the, the athletes to take off their watches, to get rid of their watches. So when should, when should a runner ditch their watch on race day? I think a runner should ditch their watch on race day if they are proven – to be controlled. You know, I don't want a runner who, who has no pace control to not run with a watch because very easily the first third of the race is where most of the mistakes are made. So if an athlete, in my mind, I'm working with this athlete for the last six months and they've proven that they have a very difficult time with pace control, I want to give. I want them to wear their watch because I don't want them running too fast. I don't want them running like an idiot. I want them to be successful. Um, but with an athlete who I have faith in in terms of pace control, then I know that they, and I have trust that they are going to make the right decision and not go out too hard and run by effort. Um, so, I think any race is fine. Marathon, five k. Uh, I've done it a few times myself, and uh, I, I think. Any time would be appropriate. It's just depending on the athlete themselves. Are you the type of person that can demonstrate control and then go by effort? Or are you somebody who needs to give yourself speed limits the first third of any race, whether it be a mile or a 5K or a marathon? If, if so, then you better be wearing a watch and following speed limits. 
Right. And when you see when you say people make mistakes in the first third of the race, what percentage would you say go too slow versus too fast of the people who make mistakes? Well, I think in a marathon, I'm not sure there is too slow in the first third. I mean, again, most people are going to run near where they should be anyway. Like if you're a, if you're shooting for a, uh, 335 in the marathon, you're not going to go out there and run the first six miles at 12 minute miles. You're not going to, you're not going to run that. That's not natural. Um, but I think, I think it's probably 50, 50 of how many athletes, maybe, maybe 60, 40 of how many athletes go too fast too soon. Um, that's often what it is. We, we coach, uh, is no, you got to settle down. You got to settle down. You got to settle down. But once they learn it, they learn it. And it's not that much of an issue anymore. Right, especially with the shorter races, like the five Ks, the five miles, oh, the ten Ks, you can really just go out burning. It, that's 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 the worst thing to do if, to feel in a five K. At least in the marathon, the first three miles, you can kind of come back from that. What I like to do in my in a in a five K for an athlete that has those tendencies is to turn auto lap for every quarter mile. That way, they have twelve opportunities to see what their pace is or what their, their time marker is versus a mile. Because once a mile is gone in a 5k and you went out too hard, you're done. But if a quarter mile has gone by, you can still make an adjustment because that's only going to be depending on who you are, a minute and 15 seconds to, to two minutes. It's not that big of a deal. That's a great point. I never thought about that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It's a good tip. That's why we have you on here, James. That's why we have the experts on here. All right. So question number two, this one's about fighting through discomfort. Um, when, should people be tough and just try to fight through that uncomfortable feeling and really try to get the most out of their workout versus packing in, packing it in and saying, all right, today's just not the day. Maybe I can do this, you know, either tomorrow or I'll, I'll check back in with my coach. Yeah, that's interesting. I actually had that experience uh, maybe two months ago. I was meant to run around 35 minutes or so of a pace that was intended for me to be able to race at for a little bit over an hour. So it was going to be an intense workout, but it shouldn't throw me over the top. And two miles into a 35 minute block, I was already breathing. Like I could hear my, <gasps> in my voice. Right. So I knew at that point, my workout was over. So I made it to about three or four miles and I shut it down there. Um, and I, it ended up being that I was just fighting a sickness. Um, and I think sometimes that's the right call to make. And, and other times it, it, it could just be, I, maybe I should have just slowed down 15 seconds a mile and, and run the distance. I, but I, I didn't know that's what I was going to feel. Um, so I, I think if you recognize how you're feeling, maybe you can adjust ahead of time, but you have to be cognizant that if you don't adjust ahead of time, maybe you save the rest of your, your training for the next seven or 10 days by not digging yourself into a hole. In fact, four days later, I ran one of the best long wor workouts I've ever had. And I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here at 7,000 feet and I just did something that I never did even at sea level. So making that choice that day for me was the right choice. And that's something that I've learned a lot by watching the pros train is it's so if they have 12,000 meter repeats and they're burning the candle at nine or 10, they'll shut it down to save their training versus digging themselves in a hole because the plan says so. And I think too many people say they are stuck to what the, what's, what's on a page and they're not really listening to what it is their, their, their body's telling them. Other than that, if you feel something sharp in your, in a joint or in a muscle, just mm -hmm. stop. Right, just of stop. 
don't, of course. Just don't do it. <laughs> right. In, injuries, injury is a whole, a whole different ball of wax. Um, and I think for me and maybe some other people too, maybe people who are like your, like your friend who, you know, dropped, you know, 150 pounds and, you know, was able to run a 143 half is that the, the, the slippery slope of quitting a workout can be more than just about that workout. Yes. Right. It can it can set yes. you up for like, oh, well, I quit that other workout and it turned out okay. So maybe it's okay if I do it again. And it, it can create not just a negative mindset, but but it, it just it kind of allows yourself if you're predisposed to doing this, which I know I am, to either procrastinate or beg off of workouts that in actuality you shouldn't be doing. Yeah, I, th- I think the intention of the workout really needs to be held. Um, if you're remembering why. You're doing a work. And this is why having a coach is really important because you're not going to understand the intention unless you're studying this nonstop. You're not going to understand the intention out of a magazine or some book or some prepaid plan. But if you have a communication with your coach and your coach says, I want you to be doing this workout because we're working on this feeling and, and this workout is going to be really, really hard and I need you to be digging deep and, and expect to not be able to breathe or talk at the end of each rep then you understand that that's the anticipated effort. But if you don't know why you're doing it, then it's very easy to back off too soon, even when you should be fighting through some of the discomfort. Right, because it doesn't make you feel better knowing that that feeling, but at least it can ease your mind and say, I'm not doing something bad here, even though I feel like crap. I gave a workout to one of my athletes, Dawn, um, this week, who's running a a half marathon this coming weekend. And uh, the workout was uh, around three and a half to four minutes of a little bit faster than 5K speed uh, by maybe six or seven repetitions. And I'd give it to her that intense because there's six or seven days to recover and she's going to be just fine. But I told her, so you, this is going to be hard, but it's not going to be as hard as when you did this workout when it was a full mile three weeks ago. That workout was much harder than what you're getting now. So expect to be working, but don't expect to feel like you're over the top. Right. Okay. All right. Before we get into the last question, uh, if someone wants to get a hold of you or learn more about uh, McCurdy Trained, what's the best thing for them to do? So you can go right to the website. Um, you can reach out uh, on, on Instagram, certainly. Uh, gosh, the last 48 hours, I feel like I've been tied to the phone. Uh, most often when someone reaches out, they send an email or an inquiry, and I try to get their phone number because I like to have a conversation. So you can shoot me an email at James McCurdy or James at McCurdy train.com. But just please give me your phone number so I can actually talk to you. Uh, And certainly you can reach out via Instagram as well. You know, that's a a popular mode, but chances are I'm going to ask you for your phone number so I can talk to you. There you go. And that's McCurdy train.com. McCurdy train.com. Instagram is McCurdy trained as well. There you go. All right. Last one. What is your favorite, marathon predictor workout oh gosh honestly like i was thinking about this a bit i don't know if i really have one i, I think i have a, a, a pool of ideas but I, I truly believe that because every athlete is so different it's too hard to say this is one that i love to go to because this is going to tell me that this is what you're going to run what i like to see is more the consistency over the last two months or three months in the build-up if we can be consistent well, marathons are really predictable, but if there's no consistency, we have no idea what you're going to do. And I, and I talked to Josh Cox about that in Chicago. Marathons are not a guessing game. I, I, I talked with, uh, I spoke with Brooke Adams. You had Brooke on uh, a bit ago, 
Uh, yeah, in fact, after- in fact, I was I had I had a text exchange literally 20 minutes before we got on the phone here from a listener who said that was their favorite episode. Oh, I episode. love it. I love it. Brooke is a sweetheart. She works. I, I don't think people really understand uh, unless they're in it themselves. What a 12 to a 15 hour day can do to you on top of trying to keep your family relationships intact and your personal relationships uh, and your training. So the fact that she was able to do anything that she was able to do is just tremendous. She's an, a, an amazing person, and she is just a sweetheart. And I love – it's such a, a blessing to be working with her. Um, Boston, she ran Boston, and she quote-unquote ran it for fun. And I told her this is exactly what I expect out of you. I want you to be able to run a 315. And she ended up with a 315.07 in Boston. <laughs> right on the number. That's classic. You know, like – marathons are really, really predictable. As long as we know this and as long as things go the way we think they're going to go, it shouldn't be an unknown. No one's going to drop 20 minutes of a PR without really being able to. It's not going to just happen out of the blue. Clearly, you were fit enough to do it. But I think people kind of get stuck in those numbers. So I, I I like to look at the training as the predictor versus just one workout. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in that training... What are some of the ways you're able to identify the most likely range that that person's going to come in for for a marathon? Right? If, like, what are some what, yeah, like, what are some of the keys that you look at? And you know, obviously, you're not pumping it into like one of the online calculators, which can be useful. But yeah. obviously, you have your own system. Yeah, I mean, we 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 don't rely on, but we absolutely use the V dot system. That's the application we 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 work with. Uh, you can look that up on, on runsmartproject.com, the VDOT coaching system. Um, I have the app. I have the app on my phone. It's a wonderful system. There are, certainly any system has its flaws, but for me, I, I think it kind of gives me this range, this, this appropriate range to expect. Um, but certainly it doesn't explain how somebody can all of a sudden run a four or five minute PR. I think if somebody is talking through mile repeats and I wanted them to be breathing pretty heavy. That's a clear indicator that they are much more fit than they thought. I think if somebody is running a half marathon and they set a 10 minute PR, clearly they are much faster than we initially saw thought. So we have to adjust training to, to adapt to that. So one of the things that I really look for, and I'm, I'm certain my coaches look for is what are they feeling in their workouts? What is the intention? If, if I'm giving somebody two by three miles at marathon pace and they are dying well number one they're either sick like that that could very well be the issue or number two they're not as fit as we thought and we have to bring things down and set the realistic expectation go to the doctor make sure you're not sick but if you are let's set the realistic expectation that's great. James, thank you so much for coming on here. It really was a pleasure, and you're a fascinating guy, and hopefully we can have you on again. I appreciate it, Matt. Thank you so much for having me, and, and honestly, I, I love what it is you've been doing, and it, it's, it's different. It's not just – it's just different, and you do a great job, and thank you. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. Bye. Hello, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today on the show, I have my good friend, James McCurdy. You might recognize that last name. He is the founder of McCurdy Trained. Uh, They have a ton of athletes and coaches who work with McCurdy Trained. And this is kind of the kickoff episode for the Boston Marathon coverage I'm going to be doing over the next couple weeks. So 
there's kind of two aspects of James' uh, running life. So there's the running part uh, for you know his own running, and then there's his coaching life. And in this episode, we're going to focus on his coaching life. Hopefully, I'll have him back on the show later this year to do a full recap uh, of his running history. Uh, but shoot, we almost went a full hour in this episode, and there were questions I didn't even get to related to coaching, never mind his own running. So we'll do that in the future, uh, but we talk a lot about this year's Boston Marathon, uh, how he helped his uh, fellow coaches and his athletes prepare for the race, not just uh, you know a few months out, but you know, four or five days out when the, uh, when the weather looked gloomy, um, some of the recommend, some of the recommendations, excuse me, that he gave to his runners. Um, and then we just talked about, you know, how his, how his coaching business started. He spoke very openly and honestly about, uh, some of the, uh, just some of the choices he's had to make in his life, uh, from a professional perspective. And then we do a segment of coach's corner. James is always at the ready to dispense coaching advice. And I took full advantage of that in this episode. I learned a lot, um, from James. So I've already incorporating some of the things that he talked about in this episode in my, in my current running. And I only recorded this just last week. So I hope you like this episode as much as I liked recording it and happy running. 